This is no ordinary sub shop. This is Firehouse Subs. Welcome to Firehouse. Tired of overpriced lunches that underdeliver on flavor? Head to Firehouse Subs, where for a limited time you can get a $4.99 choice sub. Choose from a medium smoked turkey, Virginia honey ham, or roast beef. They're custom-made hot subs at a price ready-made to make you smile. Just $4.99, only at Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs, save more lives. Participating locations plus tax limited time offer prices may vary for delivery. The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. Good afternoon. Welcome, welcome back. Only to Democracy in Talk Radio of For and By You, the People. Hey, we're live on the Radio Nationwide, streaming live throughout the world on the World Wide Web. Check it out, LeslieMarshallShow.com forward slash stream. Keep in mind, we stream live when we broadcast live Monday through Friday, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern. In this hour, two great guests joining us. The first off is Jane Waldfogel. Jane is Compton Foundation Centennial Professor at Columbia University School of Social Work and Visiting Professor at London School of Economics. That two very different uh, areas, but we'll talk about how they tie together. She's written extensively on the impact of public policies on poverty, inequality, and child and family well-being. Her recent book entitled Too Many Children Left Behind, The U.S. Achievement Gap is available at russellsage.org and also amazon.com. More than a pleasure to have with us Jane Waldfogel. Jane, good afternoon and welcome. Thank you very much, Leslie. You know, there are people that have uh, ridiculed and poked fun at the name No Child Left Behind. And certainly when you hear too many children are left behind, they're great titles and sound bites and captions. But in this case, this is a reality, correct? Let, let's talk about how children and where children are being left behind in the United States of America. Well, unfortunately, uh, children are being left behind before they even start school, and I think that's important for us to understand because we, when we see that children are lagging behind, you know, as in school age or adolescence or in adulthood, we tend to point the finger at the schools. And, you know, we should hold schools responsible, but it turns out that an awful lot of the achievement gap is already there before children even start school. And when we talk about that, do you feel that plays into uh, preschool and some of the fight that we have there and how every time it seems somebody has to take a hatchet to something, uh, you know, in a budget politically, education seems to be cut, especially by conservative politicians? You know, I think it's tough because um, we take for granted, obviously we have kindergarten through 12 schooling, and so nobody would think about, you know, zeroing out kindergarten or first grade or second grade or third grade. But preschool we, we look at as being more optional because we don't currently have it in most places. And, I mean, I can actually understand how, especially during the recent Great Recession, states were reluctant to invest more money into preschool programs because, you know, they were stretching the dollars as best they could. But, you know, we're out of the recession now, and it's very short-sighted to not invest in, in preschool 
when uh, the payoffs are so tremendous. Why do you think people uh, look at, you know, this situation or perhaps don't bring enough light and attention to the situation when, you know, not to be cliche, but the children truly are our future. And, you know, I've said to many people, I have a seven and an eight-year-old, and I've said to many people, do you realize these kids are going to determine if I get Social Security or Medicare? These are the kids that are going to determine, you know, if I'm put on a, in a home or if that movie, God forbid, Logan's Run or Soylent Green become a reality. Absolutely, and we have choices to make about those children. Um, you know, sometimes we sort of tend to think these things are inevitable, there's nothing we can do, and that nothing could be further from the truth. So uh, we have choices with these seven- and eight-year-olds, and if they're not doing very well right now in school, we could, you know, redouble our efforts and give them some extra help, and they would be better educated, they'd get higher-paid jobs, and as you said, they'd be paying more into, you know, Social Security and providing more support for all of us. But we have a choice in this. And this is interesting with your background. This is clearly an example of where these two specialties intersect, right? Social work and economics, because, you know, you're looking about the social welfare and well-being of a child, uh, you know, coupled with the money that it takes to do so. And quite frankly, that's a reality. It's going to it's gonna take cash. But to me, it's an area that is not only well-deserving, uh, but it's, it's certainly a strong and, and I think positive and promising investment. No, absolutely. And um, I think um, what's, what's new for us as a country is understanding that uh, those early years, the years before children start school, it's not just all about play and, you know, wait till they get to school and they'll learn then. Um, increasingly, we're learning about how much learning goes on during those early years. And, you know, middle-class parents get it and, you know, the affluent parents get it, and they're sending their children off to preschools and nursing schools and music lessons and, you know, you name it. Um, but it's the, uh, the lower-income families that they can't afford private preschools. So unless we step up and offer public preschools, they're going to miss out. When I was a little girl, I was taught that if you work hard, you can succeed. The world is your oyster, a lot of these things. That for many back then, and I'm not a dinosaur necessarily, um, were true, perhaps because I was a lower to middle class income child, but I wasn't an impoverished child. What I just said is not the reality for everybody. I mean, the American dream is not a reality even to every American right now, every child, correct? No, it's not, and um, especially not if children are starting school, you know, a year behind other children. Um, You know, I mean, Kindergarten teachers and first grade teachers work hard and they do a great job, but if they're going to have a fighting chance of helping prepare kids, the kids have to come in more equally prepared. I mean, it's just those gaps are just too big uh, when kids come in that far behind. And you would hate to have one of your kids come in that far behind and be the kid in the kindergarten class or the first grade class who's behind all the other kids. It's just, it's a terrible way to start school. And kids never recover from that and, in fact, fall further behind. And part of the recovery is not just lack of opportunity, but as children age, the awareness that they have less opportunity. And that can, and that can bring about anger. It can also uh, bring about a lack of hope. And if you don't have hope, you're not going to strive for something else. Well, the subtle messages are sometimes not so subtle messages that they get from their teachers and from other students. 
Um, we don't really have an expectation in this country that every child can succeed and that if a child is falling behind, it means we have to redouble our efforts because everyone can learn. Everyone can get there and master whether it's algebra or geometry or, you know, you name it. Um, and so we, we have to change our attitudes about uh, what we expect of our kids. We have an increase in income inequality in this country. Um, that has obviously directly uh, attributed to the dream we just spoke of being more difficult for yes. many children to obtain. Can you speak to that specifically so that people understand? Because this is yet another reason that we cannot ignore uh, the uh, disparity in wages and the increased income inequality in this nation and, and how it continues to worsen and who it affects like these kids going forward. Well, you know, parents understandably are going to do the best they can for their children, and they should. That's a natural thing, and every parent will want to do that. But what's happened is the incomes that are available to parents are so unequal that the families at the top are able to just plow vast resources into their children, while the families at the bottom or even the families in the middle are being left behind. And unless we do something to compensate for that, uh, we're going to find children's destinies being pulling pulling apart as well. And so, you know, what other countries have done is step in and provide services like universal preschool or help provide income transfers to low-income families to try to smooth things out and try to fill some of those gaps. I want to talk about... An, on an international level and, com, you know, how comparatively the United States fares. When in Too Many Children Left Behind, there was an international team of social scientists that assessed how social mobility varied in the United States compared with other countries, Australia, Canada, the U.K., as three examples. Um, explain to people how it varies and why that matters when we compare ourselves to other countries, other progressive, westernized, modernized countries. Well, I mean, what we thought we would look at is um, how children fare depending on how well-educated their parents are. And, you know, obviously children whose parents have a college education or more are going to enter school and go through school uh, doing better than children whose parents, say, only had a high school education or less. But it's not so obvious why that should be different across these four pretty similar countries, U.S., U.K., Canada, Australia. So in every country, you expect children to do better if their parents are more educated, but why should that differ across countries? And in fact, it does. So um, children, you know, in the United States who are from less educated families, they're, you know, more than a year behind in development when they're starting school and they have a bigger gap at the end of school than in the other three countries, you know, significantly larger. So, you know, why should that be the case? And so that really, you know, provided the reason, the motivation for us to look at these other countries and try to understand what they're doing and what we might learn from them. In short then, Jane, I think we can agree if you are the victim of the lower end of the economic gap, you also will then become the victim of an academic and achievement gap and yes. op an opportunity gap. And so that comes down to the haves and the have-nots, and another thing with income inequality, it's, it's fear of erosion or just uh, complete annihilation of the middle class, which is even further dangerous for our country to be headed on a path to. Well, and what's worrisome is these children, you know, whose educational prospects are being diminished, they're the parents of the next generation. 
So then we're creating a problem for ourselves in the next generation because we're going to have another generation of low-educated parents. Do, do you think, Jane, uh, sorry to jump in here, but do you think that's part of America's problem that we live, it, it was so much in the now, like drive through everything, instant gratification, knee-jerk reaction, um, you know, this is the story today, forget next week, we said it, don't look back, don't look forward that we don't think about investing in the future, and, and that perhaps sets us apart from many other nations as well. Yeah, I think that's right. I think we do have a very short-term uh, vision, um, and I, I think we, we just have to get beyond that. Um, and it, it's a short-term, and it, but it's also a kind of defeatist vision. You know, we, we don't think there's anything government could do about it to make things better. Um, if you ask people in Canada, not only do they share the American dream about equal opportunity and everyone being able to succeed, the kind of vision that you were talking about earlier, but they also think that government can and should do something about it, that it's government's job to help promote that. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll continue our discussion with our guests. Don't go away. This is Jane Waldfogel, Compton Foundation Centennial Professor at Columbia University School of Social Work. She's also a visiting professor at the London School of Economics. Back with her, back with you right after this. Don't go away. with Compton Foundation Centennial Professor at Columbia University School of Social Work, also visiting professor at London School of Economics, Ms. Jane Waldvogel. Uh, Jane, thank you for holding and welcome back. We're talking about too many children left uh, behind. Uh, we're, you know, there is a correlation between a lack of education or high dropout rate and crime or those that are incarcerated currently. Our academics are education key for children to be able to get out of those circumstances that they're in, which is uh, not just poverty, but having less opportunity and less access uh, to proper academics. Because obviously, if you don't have that access, there's just no level playing field here. No, that's right. And, um, you know, we, leave, we live in an increasingly technological world, and, uh, and education is increasingly necessary. So, you know, it used to be the case that if you didn't graduate high school or, you know, you didn't do particularly well in school, there were still good blue-collar jobs. But we don't live in that world anymore. And um, so, we, you know, we either, we either abandon a whole portion of the population or we dig in and invest and make sure that everybody has the skills and education that they need in today's society. I want to talk about another way we're leaving children behind, and that is with the disgusting parental leave that we provide or that we really don't provide, the lack of it that we provide, especially to mothers and even to fathers in this country compared to other uh, modernized, westernized nations. It is one of the most striking differences across the countries. Um, 
So, you know, our neighbor to the north, Canada, now provides a year of paid parental leave for both parents, so both mothers and fathers can take a year of paid leave. Uh, That's double what they used to provide. England has also doubled their period of paid leave. They've gone from about four and a half months of paid leave to about nine months of paid leave with another few months on top of that. I mean, around the world, most countries now provide more than a year of paid parental leave. Uh, even Australia, they were the holdout for so long, and then uh, they finally implemented a year of job-protected unpaid leave, and then they've recently implemented, I think it's three or four months of paid leave, and their conservative government is talking about extending it. I mean, this is not a liberal or conservative issue. This is mom and apple pie, right, providing paid leave, especially for new mothers. Uh, but, you know, you're in California. California is one of our few states that has uh, paid parental leave. And it's been in effect. We just celebrated its 10th anniversary. Uh, great for employees. Uh, fathers are using it. Mothers are using it. Um, good for children. Children are being taken to the doctor more. And um, employers say it's a non-event. It's a non-issue. What would you say... If, if if the president said, okay, in a sentence, what do we need to do to make in to stop leaving so many children behind in America? Or you know, just give us your quick you know list of of what we need, the boxes we need to check. Um, there's three really simple things. One is more support for early learning, so that's paid parental leave, it's parenting programs, it's universal preschool, so that's the early childhood period. Then during the school years, as I've been stressing, it's higher expectations for children, so more rigorous curriculum, more highly trained teachers, and then cutting across early childhood and the school years, doing something for low-income families to mitigate the kind of hardship that they're facing. So that's things like a higher minimum wage, a higher earned income tax credit, child tax credit. I mean, this is not rocket science. We know what to do about poverty. So it's those three things. It's, you know, something in early childhood, something in the school years, and then cutting across all those years, uh, helping especially low-income families. Who has, who do we blame, who do we point the finger to that has failed these children? Um, boy, that's a good question. Um, honestly, um, I think if we don't address the political gridlock, especially in Washington, uh, I think we're stuck on this and a host of other issues. So I think all of us are, you know, to blame for the, you know, it's the political gridlock. Uh, I think, you know, we do need to work on getting things moving forward in Washington. But a lot of this is, is thing, are things that, you know, the states can move on as well, and even localities. So uh, I, I think we just all have to dig in and make this a priority. Absolutely. Uh, we need to. Thank you very much to our guest. More than a pleasure to have had her with us. Second guest coming up right after this. We've been listening to Jane Waldfogel. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. 
keep the unicorns alive. Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.